Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello, and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize talking about our mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance to anyone who might be struggling or who knows someone that is. Today, I am so thrilled to be joined by actress, mixologist, and author, Ariana Maddox. As a cast member on the hit Bravo reality television series, Vanderpump Rules, and the upcoming 2023 season of Dancing with the Stars, Ariana has lived her life with all its ups and downs in the public eye, and through it all, she has bravely been open about her own struggles with mental health in the hopes of letting others know that they are not alone. Ariana joins me now to talk all about her mental health journey, career, and so much more. Welcome, Ariana. So excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, Chrissy. I'm excited too. (laughs) So let's jump right into it. I know you grew up in Florida, right? And you have spoken about your childhood in the past and the impact that your early experiences with your parents had on your mental health throughout your life. For those who aren't super familiar, can you talk a bit about that and how your upbringing shaped the way that you approach mental health today? Sure. I think growing up in the 80s and the 90s, mental health was not a subject that people really talked about. For there sure. was definitely like a bigger stigma at that point, even more so than there is now talking about those things, being open about having any issues. And my parents were both very supportive of me, but I think that my dad in particular was going through some things and probably didn't have you know, a label for it or a way to seek out how to work through some of these feelings he was having. And right. I think that of course, you know, I wasn't of course. like growing up with the type of parents I feel like I hear that it. we would be, you know, where we're like, yeah, I'd therapy every week, you know. <laughs> it was just not a thing. But my parents were really supportive of me. I think that I also didn't know how to label these feelings I was having growing up. And I think that I also became such a big kind of overachiever and perfectionist because as supportive as they were and loving as they were, I think I had it in my head that if I can be perfect and if I can do everything right, that I will be enough and I will be worthy and you know, my dad will want to come home. <laughs> right. And like take any stress off your parents. Cause you're like, if I'm not a bother, then they'll be happy. Yes, exactly. And I think that it's obviously not a healthy mindset, but as kids, we don't know better. We don't know any better. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people really experience that and yeah, wanting to just feel like if I can do everything right, then my parents will be happy. And it's also, I think, a really difficult position to be in when you feel responsible for your parents' happiness Mm -hmm. or like keeping the peace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too- Which I can relate to for sure. (laughs) I don't know if you have any siblings, but- I do. Are you the oldest? 
No, I'm the youngest and the only oh, wow. girl. So yeah. I kind of like got it easy in a sense. Ish. But I think being the only girl, there's definitely probably a certain weight that you carry with you with that. As an oldest daughter oh. of an oldest daughter of an oldest daughter. I think that there's a lot of that too that comes into it. I think mm-hmm. that oldest daughters, we really shoulder a lot of the family stuff. And it's not until you grow up that you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, wow, I was really trying to like carry this family. Right. But it's like, I even remember like, so my brother is seven years younger than me. And I even remember when he was born and I was trying to do all these things. I remember my mom being like, you don't have to worry about this. I'm the mom. I'll do it. But in my mind, I was like, I have to do it all, all the time. Yeah. So I think that definitely took a toll on my mental health because I still have that now a little bit, you know. This like sense of responsibility to make sure that others do everything. Yeah. And I'm not good at accepting help in that Mm. way because I'm like, no, I can do it. I can do it all. Right. But I'm working on it. (laughs) It's, uh, yes. It's a, you just got to take it a day at a time. It's a journey, right? Yeah, it's a journey. It's a process. <laughs> now, before your acting and television career took off, you were also a competitive equestrian, which is so cool. Tell us about the side of your life and how it influenced your approach to mental health. Yeah, big horse girl energy over here. I think that I've done a lot of different competitive sports and things like that growing up, but mm-hmm. I think that riding horses is the one that has stuck with me. It's the one that I feel the most beneficial to me in my life, Mm -hmm. aside from maybe like dance. But I think that with riding horses, there's a few things that I learned from that. I learned to not be competitive against other people, but mostly with myself, because when you are competing, it's you against yourself. You're not going head to head. You're not boxing. You know, you're not going head to head with someone. You're not not on a team. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you do your best. And that was something I think really was helpful for me. And also horses in general. I mean, they are used as therapy animals a lot. I find interacting with them to be extremely therapeutic, even not riding, just being around them and interacting with them on that Mm -hmm. level. They're these like big, majestic creatures that are also very reliant on you Mm -hmm. and your mental state and your guidance. And it's really beautiful. And also when you're riding, you have to be very present in the moment because if you are depressed or feeling that or feeling that anxiety or thinking about what you're going to do later in the day or whatever, it takes you out of the moment in a way that can be unsafe for you. And the horses feel that. And it creates an interaction that could be, you know, you're not going to do as well or they're going to feel that and they're going to start acting differently. And I think that practicing that of an hour a day of having to be super present in the Mm -hmm. moment is really, really beneficial for my mental health. And yeah. Maybe a form of meditation. I was about to say, it seems like a very meditative practice. I also have a friend who has ridden horses since she was a child. And that is definitely one of her main things for like self-care now. That is just something that she feels she has to do weekly so that she feels good. Yeah. And I even think about grooming them and brushing them. It is a meditative practice. It's awesome. 
What other activities were you involved in growing up? And also was your perfectionism also coming out through? <laughs> probably. <these? laughs> probably. I was involved in a lot of things. So riding horses, cheerleading, dance. I was also a dancer. Ooh, yes. <laughs> With my palms and things like that. Cute. I was in all kinds of different clubs, like student government, theater. Okay, overachiever. Yeah, big time. <laughs> big time overachiever. And I think it wasn't until after college that I experienced burnout and that I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I remember moving to New York after college and sitting in my apartment with my boyfriend at the time and being like, there's nothing for me to do right now. This feels weird. I don't understand it. Because I was always before and after school booked. Right, right. So it was a weird, weird feeling. Yeah, I think because a lot of people, although obviously these were activities that you were enjoying, but but in some way it's also keeping busy is a way to sort of escape what might be going on in your head or at home. And then when you find that stillness and there's nothing to do, you're like, what do I do? It's just me and myself. (laughs) Yeah. And I think as an adult now, when I am not, it's almost like I've, because of that, become someone who does thrive when they're busier. Mm -hmm. And I have to be careful not to use being busy as a way to escape things. Escape. Yeah, exactly. So how do you how do you actually put that into practice, right? Because I feel like someone in your position, there's probably so many opportunities coming at you every single day. And I'm sure there's so many that you are actually excited about. So you want to say yes to everything, but you can't if you don't want to end up burnt out. So how do you actually put parameters in place so that you can have time for yourself? Um, She's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, um, I'm working on that. Do you need some tips? <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, because that is something I, I struggle with because I do want to say yes to everything. I do get very excited about different opportunities and things like that. I definitely try to find at least some point in the week where I can just kind of bed rot, honestly. <laughs> I love that. Do nothing. I also have been trying really hard not to fall asleep at night with the TV on so that when it's Rest time, it is yeah. rest time. Yeah. Because I have a tendency to blur those lines. Yeah. So I that is one thing that I'm really trying to do is when it's time to rest, it's time to rest. When it's time like to work, that. time to work. And then put the phone on do not disturb or something like that to like yeah. really allow maybe even just an hour. I feel like that's such a great tactic because do you have a TV in your bedroom? So you're just more inclined to like just watch it till you clonk out. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes the TV's on and I'm on TikTok. So it's right. like, <laughs> then I'm like, wait, I don't remember what was happening. In the show. Right. And then you're rewinding and it takes you twice as long to watch a show because you haven't been paying yeah, attention. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know it's hard, but I'm sure also when you do that, you probably get better sleep, right? When you are intentional about how you go to bed. Yeah, absolutely. I used to think it didn't really make a difference, but it, it actually does. I know. You know. And too, it helps because it's dark. Yes. When the TV's on, there's the flickering. I know. I, I don't know how, I don't know how you people do it. I cannot sleep with any ounce of light in my room. <laughs> yeah. I do like a blackout curtain. Yes. Gotta have them. Gotta have them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's no secret that 
a career in film and television and a life in the limelight can truly take a toll on your mental health. And you've been so open and honest about your struggles. What was it that made you want to be public about how you feel in the first place? What has that response been like for you? The response has been really amazing. And I also feel like the response has been a lot of me being able to hear from other people things that they're going through, things that they've gone through, experiences they've had. And that has actually really helped me. Yeah. Because when I'm able to have that conversation with people that I maybe just met on the street or we're talking on Instagram or something like that, that actually makes me feel like, okay, I'm not alone. And they're saying, well, you made me feel like I'm not alone. I'm like, well, right right back at you. Because (laughs) sometimes I feel like it can be fairly isolating feeling like, of course. But then you realize everybody, for the most part, is having those moments. We just always see the highlights when we're on social media or watching TV or things like that. And you find everyone is a human being who has things going on or struggling in some way. Yeah, I think it's really easy to feel like when we're going through something, we're the only ones going through it, right? And you're just so in your head and and then it's so easy to feel like embarrassed and shame and all of these feelings because you're like, I'm the only one going through this. Yeah, exactly. And then it's crazy because once you almost let that burden leave you and somehow share it outwardly, yeah, the burden lessens. Absolutely. It's almost literally like magic. It's kind of crazy. You set yourself free in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because it it is, it's like something you're just being held down by and then you just kind of, it dissipates a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was somewhat reluctant initially to share these types of things with the world at large, essentially, because- Of course. I have been made fun of in the past for maybe not being the most bubbly person, and really? that's no, <laughs> called Debbie Downer, Negative Nancy, Bitchy Barbie, things like that. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I yeah, Bitchy Barbie's kind of cute. I kind of, I like it now. <laughs> At the time I was like, that's so mean. And now I'm kind of like, I want that. I like I know. that. You're like, can I trademark that? Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, can we, yeah, let's, let's go back to that. <laughs> but I've definitely, people call me like wet blanket, a dark cloud, all these things. And it's like, mm. number one. I am not going to be the most bubbly person all the time. That's a natural thing regardless. But then to dive deeper and talk about my struggles with depression and anxiety, it made me feel like, well, people are already calling me these names. So if I talk about that, you know what I mean? It just felt, you know, it was a little bit scary. But then I think at one point things got to a level where if I didn't talk about it, it was like nothing was making sense and nobody understood that maybe I was going through some things. Right. And healing is not linear. And things like depression, anxiety, or things I'll probably deal with on and off at different varying levels for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's totally fine. But I think that some people assume that with things like my dad passing away or things like even just childhood stuff or that you get to a certain age or a certain amount of time passes and you're past it and you're healed and everything's great and whatever. And that's just not the case. And I feel like I have vacillated between moments of feeling 
really great and moments of feeling like not good. And I just felt like when you're in the public eye, sometimes when you're feeling those ways, it's almost seen as it. Everyone says it's okay to not be okay, right? Right. But but, sometimes I feel like when you're in the public eye, that's not the case. It actually is not okay. Right. And I really wanted to just be like, well, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. And I feel as though with Vanderpump Rules, it is my job to be my most authentic self. And when it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's hard, but that's what I'm here to do is be my most authentic self and show myself as much as I can. And even if it sucks, and even if it's not the greatest side of me or the greatest thing that I would ever want to be talking about, I think it is my duty in some regard to share that. Right. And then I'm glad I did. You know what I mean? It was like really tough in the moment. And then I'm glad that I did that. Of course. And also like you're destigmatizing mental health. And that's obviously why we're here today. That's why we're having this conversation because it's so important. And yeah, I like actually a lot the point that you made that, yeah, people are like, it's okay to not be okay. But then when you're actually trying to express that you're not okay, then you're actually like opening yourself up to negative feedback and it's just not fair. But of course, we also know that we're never going to find ourselves in a situation where like everyone agrees with us or everyone is happy with what we say. And what it boils down to is you're going to help so many more people than the people who have something negative to say. The people who have something negative to say, like, just don't even matter in this equation because it's important. And I think especially for someone like you, again, who's in the public eye, for people to know that, yes, you can have the seemingly like glamorous and beautiful life, but you still have days where you're really struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's important too, because I don't like to think of when people are on television or people have a following or whatever you do, you see that glamorous side. But I guess I can't speak for people who are like, really big deal? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I like to think that we are all the same. And Mm -hmm. when we can find that, I think that that's where we find strength together. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And Again, like I think it's important for people to know that, yes, people who are in privileged positions can also struggle with mental health issues. And like, yeah, we're all human. We all go through ups and downs and upsets. And like, there's literally nothing any of us can do in this life to like avoid pain or crisis. Yeah. It's like what they say about the two things that are for certain death and taxes. Exactly. It's like that, you know? And I think that it's important too. what you said, like people in positions of privilege do go through things. But I think that people in positions of privilege should also be as open as possible about these things, because then I feel like it helps in terms of the intersectionality of everyone's mental health and well-being to push that stigma and push those things forward so that everybody is able to benefit from the destigmatization of those issues. Yes, Absolutely. So now as someone who's obviously struggled with anxiety and depression, how do you work to maintain a healthy frame of mind? 
What routines do you kind of put into place for yourself to manage your mental health? Well, I feel like exercise, whether that is going out to the barn and riding horses or even just going for a brisk walk sometimes, depending That's on what, what I, I do. Time for. Yeah. I really feel like that is something that helps a lot. And doing that in a sense that's not necessarily so focused on results. I mean, I do love to lift weights, but sometimes if I'm not in a great place, I might lift some weights, but it's not about, can I lift the heaviest today? It's just to do that. I feel that strength. I'm able to get through that. Also blasting some of my favorite music. Mm -hmm. Music is such a great tool for me as far as getting through the day. Like It's transformative. It really is. It really, really is. I think exercise, music, and also just kind of being able to get out into nature, even just a little bit. Yeah. Just looking out the window, maybe kind of like watching a bird for a little while. Mm -hmm. They're so funny and weird. (laughs) And it really takes you out of it because you just realize like there's whole ecosystems going on outside of myself. And it brings you back to almost just your, I don't know if primal is the right word, but it brings you back to almost like a baseline where you're just thinking about the basics with whatever they're doing outside. (laughs) I mean, I think what you're talking about is really like perspective. It helps give you perspective that whatever you're, maybe you're stressed about at the time, you're like, oh wait, this is actually so small. I'm just this little piece in this entire ecosystem. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to be okay. And I think something that has helped me too is just day to day with a busy schedule. And a lot of people have it probably busier than I do too, because you have kids, things like Mm -hmm. that. You're so, so busy and it's really, really hard to take time for yourself and focus on yourself. I feel like being able to just say, okay, I'm just going to get through the next 30 minutes. One thing at a time. What is the first thing? Just tackle that. Yep. And then that I feel like helps take off the mental load a little bit. I agree. What would you say to anyone that's listening right now who may be also struggling with anxiety or depression? I just would love to say that you're not alone and just take some deep breaths and let's go for a walk outside. And if you want to hit me up on Instagram, (laughs) I'm right here (laughs) and we're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And we're all going to get through this together. I love that. So last year, you also opened up about your battle with an eating disorder. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey you've been on and how you've worked to heal yourself? Well, first of all, I didn't realize that that's what it was. Like, I didn't realize that's what was going on while it was going on. Yeah. I've always been very, I struggle with being very critical of myself. Mm -hmm. And then also in the limelight, you do then get comments your body and things like that. And then also at the time, this was before I was on Vanderpump Rules, I was in a relationship with someone who was very, very critical of Mm -hmm. my appearance and my body. And so all those things kind of rolled on top of each other. And when I look back at when I started Vanderpump Rules, I was very, very, I mean, my ribs were sticking out. I was, I think like 105 
pounds. And it's tough because you get a lot of praise. Of course. When you're on TV and you're skinny. But mentally, I was unhealthy and it was not healthy in any way mm-hmm. for me. And the ways that I've tried to work to heal is whenever I had to really push myself to not think about food in this way that, because I, 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 anorexia is basically what I was dealing with and try to think about food in a healthy way. I'm still working on my relationship with food, honestly. That's understandable. Yeah. I'm still working on it, but I think what I've tried to do is just let it hang out more. And I know that I'm doing my best as far as just living a healthy life. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to revolve my entire daily schedule around being the healthiest person on the planet. I'm going to eat junk. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to work out some days. I'm going to not work out some days. That's just part of life. And I think what I've tried to practice is telling myself that it's okay. It's okay. Don't try to control because I think that's another thing with anorexia and eating disorders in general. It's like it's rooted in control. Yeah. And just telling myself, it's not, it's not in your control. Just let it go. And if you get a comment or you're wearing, I'm wearing something that, you know, is showing my legs and people are seeing things that, you know, in the past I would have maybe really not liked just being like, hell yeah. I don't know. I I think it helps too for me, like celebrities that I've talked about things and been really body positive. That has also really helped me because I I look up to people like Beyonce. I look Mm -hmm. up to people like I forget who it was actually. It may have even been Iggy Azalea or something. And she was like, you want this ass? It's going to come with cellulite. Like that's what's going <laughs> to right. happen. And I was like, okay, like we're all just kind of like doing our best and dealing with our own little like perceptions of what are flaws. And of course, they're not even flaws. And it's just kind of a slow process of allowing myself to just be like, it's all good. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to keep reinforcing that for yourself. Yeah, Well, that's what I mean. Like I am still working on it. It is a daily course. being like, you can't go all day and not eat. You can't do that. Yeah. You cannot do that. Eating is very important. (laughs) It is is very important. important. And there's so much delicious food in LA. Oh my God. Well, yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But as you brought up negative comments and whatnot, you're in the public eye, you're on social media, which can be a horrifically negative space at times. How do you approach social media when it comes to your mental health? Like, do you find yourself needing to take breaks at times? Do you avoid your comment section? What do you do? Oh man, I'm really bad about avoiding the comment section. (laughs) I know I'm supposed to, I'm bad about it. I definitely (laughs) block people very regularly who make comments about my body mm-hmm. or just comments that are ludicrous and gross. Yeah. And my my perspective in that is not that necessarily that, that I can't handle reading that, but I know that anyone who comes in my comment section, if that comment lives there, they're reading that. And Great I always point. feel like I don't want that type of language to live on my page. Mm-hmm. And if I can at least get it off of my page, then people who are coming to my page might not read that and be triggered by it because right. 
I always wonder too, the people who do comment those things obviously have a very negative relationship with themselves. Absolutely. Because otherwise they wouldn't. They're But projecting. then I always wonder what they would think if, you know, I'm like, you know, your account is your name. So any of your friends can see that that's how you feel about Ariana Maddox. So they're like, oh, well, shit, I better not wear that top because John Smith said that Ariana <laughs> looks like crap in right. that same top. So, wow. You know what I mean? It's just totally. like, and so I just, I don't want my page to be a place where that stuff is perpetuated. That's but totally yeah, fair. I feel bad about staying out of the comment section. And I, my friends are always like, you can't do that. You can do but it. I, the curiosity killed the cat, you know? I know. I love that. But I'm trying to be better about that. And I think that what has helped me with seeing those things sometimes though is like, I know it's not personal and I really know it has nothing to do with me. It's it, so it has true. everything to do with the person who's saying it, sadly, for them. It really is true because when you think about when people are in a content place and they are happy with themselves, they are not looking for faults on anybody else. You just don't do that. Yeah, and I think, too, eyes on your own paper in a way. Mm, I like that. Worry about what you're working on, what you're doing. Focus on yourself. And you probably won't even have time to be writing negative body shaming comments. Very true. <laughs> Where do they find the time? Where do they find the time yeah. to harass people that they don't know? It's so, the internet has become such a strange place. In the same vein, do you read headlines and stuff about yourself or do you, that feels like easier to avoid? Yeah, that one's definitely easier to avoid. Usually if there's a headline that I read about myself, it's one that I like, maybe I know was coming. Be, yeah. Cause it's about something that maybe a, a project or this or right. that, you know, and those are usually fairly innocuous or they're actually, they're always something like Ariana Maddox <laughs> struts in workout clothes <laughs> amid controversy. There's always like an amid something or other. <laughs> My friend Megan and I, and we all have a joke about the phrase taught tummy that they always, it's like <laughs> everyone's like, Something, something, always has something about a taut tummy. <laughs> You're like, we're part of the taut tummy club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So weird. Yeah. They're so weird. Yeah. But speaking of headlines, it was recently announced that you are joining the cast of the upcoming season of Dancing with the Stars. So yes. exciting. How are you preparing yourself both mentally and physically for the competition? I am physically preparing by rehearsing for four hours every day with my partner. Wow. Five days a week? Seven days? Seven a week? Yeah. Wow. And I bought on Amazon like a foot ice bath thing for when I get home <laughs> from rehearsal. That's amazing. That's so good though. The like icing and then the hot, you do the hot water and then back in the ice, back in the hot. Yeah. Because those ballroom shoes, oh man, it's tough. So I'm trying to, you know, those are the things I'm doing to prepare physically. And then mentally, again, I'm trying to just give myself grace as far as learning, doing my best, going out there, having a good time and not worrying about what the costume is going to, they're going to, they have the best crew in terms of designers and hair and makeup and just kind of like letting that go and knowing that they're going to make everything good hands. beautiful. Exactly. And not try to like control or think, oh my gosh, I have to 
lose five pounds or things like that that are really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I'm just being like, hey, girl, just go to rehearsal, do your best. That's what I'm telling myself every day. Yeah. And and have fun. Do you find your perfectionism coming out in this experience? A little bit, but I'm actively fighting against it in a way because the perfectionism pops up. But instead of, I'm trying really hard not to get frustrated if I don't get something on the first, second, or third try. Mm-hmm. My partner, Pasha, is so patient and so helpful. We laugh all the time. We're always cracking up with each other. And if I don't get it, he'll just tell me again. He's ever frustrated with me, which I find so nice because... Of course. Obviously, I've never danced with any of the other people on the show, but I can imagine if you're a professional and you're so good at this and you're working with somebody who's never done it before, you might be like, oh my gosh, why can't she get it? But he's never like that, which is really good for me because it allows me to be like, I'm going to get it this time. I promise. And then even if I don't, it's like, it's okay. I'm going to get it next time. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, having a patient instructor is everything. Like yeah. I started taking tennis lessons last year and I was like, wow, this is so humbling because <laughs> I think when you're at a certain point in your life, you do the things that you're like pretty sure you're good at and yeah. you kind of avoid the things you're not good at. So to like start this new skill and just be totally terrible is <laughs> truly one of the most humbling experiences. But I had an instructor that was always so patient with me, which was really helpful. But I would always notice when he would compliment me or be like, oh, you got this shot. Then the next one, I would totally screw up. Right. I, was like, you, I was like, you cannot compliment me or tell me that I'm doing good because then I don't even know what it is, but like automatically things would just go haywire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find myself like if we do like a good one mm-hmm. and I get the like for a high five, I'm like, oh, I got a high five. <laughs> like I can like really like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And it makes you feel more confident. Tennis is something that I could never, I don't know if I could ever take that on. I feel like I don't have the hand and eye coordination. I'm not quick like that. I feel like I'm very like rhythmic and deliberate in the way that I move. But with tennis, I feel like you're doing a lot of... Trust me, girl. When you first start out, you're you're not moving around. Like you're so... <laughs> you're actually like so stationary because it's really about at first just getting the hand technique down. But then when the movement comes in, it actually starts to feel like choreography because the arms have to be a certain way. The feet have to be going in a certain direction. And it really started to make me feel like I actually was learning choreography. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. You should be on Dancing <laughs> I mean, I would love that. I, I studied ballet and tap for many, many years. I was on my high school dance team. Amazing. Yes. My mom is also a huge Dancing with the Stars fan. Yes. Yeah, so I know she'll be tuning in and we'll be watching that together. Yes, obviously. Ariana, this has been such a great conversation. But before we wrap up, is there any last parting advice you would like to give the audience? I just want everyone to know, I guess, that, again, we're all in this together. No one is stronger than anyone else. And don't be afraid to lean on people around you if you're struggling. I know it's hard to accept or ask for help a lot of the time mm-hmm. from personal experience. I know how hard that is, but once you do it and to talk about how you're feeling, things definitely get better. I love it. 
Thank you so much for being here today. Oh my God, thanks, Chrissy. (laughs) I want to give a huge thank you to Ariana for coming on the show today and sharing her story and mental health journey with us. And remember, we're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. For more information, visit Maybelline.com slash Brave Together. And don't forget to make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York.